0: Music from this episode is available on the Twin Peaks Evangelion Spotify playlist. Check the show notes for a link.
1: Mortadam, eh, Leland Palmer. <laughs> Baka Shinji. Higle, or Mortadam, er, Baka Shinji. No, actually, in real life, hello. Hi, everyone. Higle, or Mortadam, er, er, Craig, and Twin Peaks Evangelion. We look at Twin Peaks and Evangelion. i um, joined by Vinny. Hello, Vinny. Kia ora. Hola. Como esta? Oh, muy bien, muy bien. We're talking about the missing pieces today.
0: Yes, the much-anticipated missing pieces, this entire narrative that will solve every single question that we have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and lots of people, we know lots of people are, uh, you know, all seven people who listen to this podcast have been uh, hotly anticipating this this one so um yeah i'm keen to get into it now i feel like we should be upfront um vinnie if i were to say to you that this is the first time that we've uh, spoken um on pod about this particular topic and recorded an episode on this particular topic would that be an accurate statement
0: in the eyes of the us government yes in real world no
1: no, we uh, we had a bit of a situation. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners enjoy this, but I, I personally love it when uh, podcasters kind of give a little peek behind the curtain into uh, the, the production of their work. So I'm going to just share a little something here. We um, we recorded our the last episode that you would have heard, our really dumb um, voice acting analysis episode. Uh, we recorded that um, on the same day that we recorded our initial conversation about the missing pieces. When we had finished recording the missing pieces, um Vinny and I were just chatting about some bullshit and I accidentally clicked the little X in the corner of my Audacity window uh that closes the window. And then because I wasn't thinking <laughs> when the little thing came up that said, Do you want to save this file? I just automatically clicked no and lost <laughs> over an hour's <laughs> worth of content. Yeah, we tried to salvage it um but it was just gone just so gone. yeah like tears in a pool of lcl it was gone <laughs> <laughs> so here we are and you know what i you know maybe this was a blessing in disguise maybe we'll get a better conversation out of uh, out of this having done it once before time will tell time will only tell yeah, so we've, we're covering Twin Peaks The Missing Pieces today, which uh, were a collection of long lost scenes, uh, extended scenes or deleted scenes uh, that were taken out of the final edit of uh, F- Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. These were sought after from fa- by fans for many, many years and finally saw the light of day in 2014, so a full... Twenty two years, after, <laughs> yeah, twenty two <laughs> uh, after the release of uh, of the film. Strange, these were actually. I don't know if you know this, Vinny, but um, these scenes were actually actually came out and were premiered before, just before the announcement of uh, of season three. That's great. These were premiered. Oh, they they were originally released on the uh, the Twin Peaks the entire mystery um, Blu Ray set, and they were premiered in in LA on July sixteenth, twenty fourteen, and I think the announcement about season three came out in like August of or September of that year. It was interesting. The Lynch gave a very cryptic speech at the premiere. He um. <laughs> You know, he didn't say anything about the scenes or about Twin Peaks in general. He just, he basically just talked about wood for about 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what he said, but I'll um I'll see if I can find it and I'll um I'll drop it in here if I can if I can find that little clip.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you all very much for being here tonight. There is an abundance of fish in the sea, but tonight I would like to speak about wood. (laughs) There are many times in the world when the phone rings and someone is inquiring about wood. This happens primarily at lumber yards, and in this case it is necessary to have a phone. It is only natural that trees are growing and that they are made of wood. Much happiness can come from observing a tree, and the same can be said about observing the many shapes fashioned out of wood. Quite often, when we are talking about beauty, we are talking about wood. Thank you very much. Um,
1: yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> this they're really interesting um, to sort of look at in isolation of the film. Um, you can kind of see where some of them would have slotted into the film, but some are just they would have seemed quite jarring if they were in the film. So maybe I thought of any we could just we could just sort of um, breeze through these and just just say a little something about each one. And um, yeah, if there's any, if you've got any comments on uh, on. On any of these, we could just sort of uh, chat about that. How's that sound? Sounds amazing, Craig. Let's do it. Very cool. So, um, so you you watch these on the Criterion Blu-ray? Is that right? Yes. under special features it's trailers
0: and then it's this and it's like this should have been the first thing in the special features menu (laughs) not just the trailers for the movie like hey here's everything for an extended cut
1: of the movie but now let's put it after the u.s trailer too well you know you gotta you gotta ease into these things you know you don't just want to don't just want to jump in there feet first sometimes you know um I watch these on um, a little website called youtube.com and thank you to the user who um, who uploaded all these into a nice little playlist. Um, it was very it was very good because I don't have access to the uh, to the to the box set or anything which has these so it was nice to be able to watch them. The first thing that really struck me and I don't know if I don't know if this was on the official thing or if it was just something that was made for YouTube but um there was a a little intro clip. Where it's just like a slow pan into the um, to the trophy. It, yeah, the trophy the case and her With, picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. on there. It's a different picture of Laura. Yeah. Than we've than we've seen before. It was a slightly different um, slightly different pose. Slightly different um, it's not not the iconic one that we recognise from all the all the merchandise and everything.
0: But also, it's not the one that uh, Sarah smashes in the return when she's angry.
1: No, no. So it's like a slightly. It's a slight variation. So whatever, I think I I think I heard somewhere that when they were when they took that photo, it was it was you know they got Cheryl Lee dressed up in a prom dress, and I think they shot it. If I'm remembering this right, they shot it at like in a room in uh, the set for the sheriff station, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they just they just took a bunch of photos. So there's all these sort of there's a few different variations. So it's just I don't know if there's anything to make out of that, but um, maybe it's a comment on
0: this is the story another way. This is a branching path in could be. the timeline.
1: Yeah, it could be. It could well be. But yeah, I just thought that was a little a little interesting nuance that I hadn't sort of seen before. Um, and I mean the the intro clips only about ten seconds long, so it doesn't <laughs> really <Right>. matter. But... <laughs> so we got a chunk of deleted scenes, a chunk of missing pieces that are based in Deer Meadow. Um, and they're all around kind of um, uh, Chet Desmond and his investigation of Teresa Banks' murder. You know, a lot of these are uh, kind of whatever. Um, a lot of them are just kind of extended versions of what we end up seeing in the film. There's a couple of extended scenes where they're in uh, Hap's diner, um, including one where they leave the next morning when the sun yeah. comes up. <laughs> and um, Irene's just giving them a dirty look. <laughs> but i mean i think i think the big the first sort of big thing that uh, that we see in the Dear meadow section is the um the fight between yes. uh between Chet desmond and um old old steel bender himself uh sheriff cable now what did you what did you think of this scene Vinny?
0: It's an amazing fight, and I do think that the only way Lynch Lynch topped this fight was in the return, just have a floating ball filled with Bob, was the only way he could top (laughs) this fight from this.
1: (laughs) Strange scene, this one. It's really drawn out. Like, Mm -hmm. it is so long... It just goes but for so That's what long. makes
0: it feel real. Like, real fights are awkward. Like, there's this weird pacing. It's not choreographed, you know? It's just this mm. guy's just trying to out-macho each other until one gets the victory.
1: Yeah, that's true, I guess. Yeah, if you do... I don't know. Have you ever been in a big fight, Vinny? No. Have you ever had to lay hands on, on anyone? No. Not no neither n- have I, actually.
0: Recently. Uh, maybe elementary school, but even then it was like, oh, within five <laughs> seconds. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I've I've never really been in a in a proper fight either. Um, but yeah, it just I don't know. It, but I imagine it would be kind of bumbling and awkward, and um, you know, it's not like an action movie. Um, so I guess it is kind of authentic in that in that regard. I guess the other sheriff and the receptionist lady is you know sort of cheering on <laughs> Sheriff Cable, and you know calls fbi agent a little monkey or something like that it's <laughs> weird so weird what do you reckon the penalty or the uh or the repercussions of getting into a fistfight with a federal agent would be
0: oh I mean, if, lose your badge lose lose your identity be thrown in the gulag and then we just erase <laughs> you and then take away your autonomy for your bo- own body
1: Fuck, man imagine imagine that happening
0: Weird. I know. Who could who could imagine? Only in a fictional universe of Twin Peaks could that ever happen.
1: Mm. Fuck the Supreme Court. <laughs> um, it, <clears throat> uh, anyway, Richard um, Taylor's <laughs> autograph. <laughs> well, that was a weird segue. <laughs> <laughs> um do do we have anything else to say about the fight?
0: i just like how supportive sam is he just standing there just smiling because he knows chet is gonna win this he's just like calmly holding the coat like yes yes come on just beat him already
1: (laughs) yeah you can tell he's kind of suppressing the urge to sort of be like yeah yeah get him get him like you know it's it's cheesy but i do like the little touch afterwards where um desmond kind of like just picks up a steel thing and just bends it like nothing (laughs) after cable's made this huge deal of like you know Really struggling to, <laughs> to bend at it. me. <laughs> such a it's cheesy little thing, it's so but um cheesy. I but I do I do quite like it. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's very then we cut from this to just straight to FBI agent Daryl Cooper doing lunges.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay, so what did you think of this scene? So this is the scene where he's talking to presumably an empty room um, yep. <laughs> that we're led to believe um has diane in it what did you think of this
0: i loved it because it was very much that giddy uh, cooper that you got at the beginning of the show and since this takes place right mm-hmm. before that then it makes sense but it also is like he, it just shows how good Kyle is, because yes, he's acting against an empty room, because he's like, Diane, you changed something in this room. Don't tell me, don't tell me. I I, I got it. Because it feels you like know. a genuine conversation is happening, but we all mm. know it's
1: there's nothing in that room. Yeah, it's probably like a, you know, a stepladder and a can of paint or something. It's an interesting scene, and uh, <laughs> it sort of implies a few things about their relationship. That um, They do have kind of this almost flirty... Mm -hmm. relationship which i think we are led to believe in the return that there was a bit of a some you know quasi-romantic feelings back in the day between the two which is
0: problematic in the
1: workplace (laughs) Mm, yeah especially sort of if we're led to believe that he's that she's kind of his assistant or Mm -hmm. his you know subordinate in some way but yeah they have these little games that they play presumably they sort of um you know she'll change something in the room and he has to guess what it is and if if he guesses it then she has to make the coffee or something like that you know which is like a cute little workplace moment you know you could imagine that kind of stuff happening with the uh, in a workplace
0: it is just such a contrast from you know the real movie where you just get cooper seriously looking into a security camera just waiting for something bad to happen
1: hmm and this is interesting because you I, I think you're right with when you said that there was sort of the giddy cooper that you know you see in early in the early season yeah it, it's almost like he became more serious and he well I don't know if that's true I was going to say like you know twin peaks changed him more you know the going to twin peaks initially sort of did change him a little bit um and he became more serious but then I don't know if that's entirely true yeah I don't know I don't know, will probably cut all this out. <laughs> Richard um, Taylor's autograph. <laughs> that, that's your Q, That's our cue to cut shit. Yes.
0: Because um, it adds no value. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Woo, sick burn. Um, Sam Stanley, he's got value, I guess. Okay, now have you ever been to an apartment like Sam Stanley's apartment? <laughs> That's
0: like a death trap. <laughs> uh I guess yeah. <laughs> Just I mean, shit everywhere and it's like don't touch it cuz I know where everything is. I know it's a mess, but I know where everything is.
1: <laughs> Just the the geography of that room though. I mean, if if this scene wasn't labeled Stanley's apartment, I w- you wouldn't know from looking at the the actual room that it's supposed to be an apartment. It looks like an industrial warehouse yeah
0: space. like i would you have know. thought this was like the basement of like the fbi like hey this here's an yeah. off lab in the dark that we just send him to yeah.
1: yeah 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 that's the thing yeah they you just shove him down there to do his weird inventions and stuff why does he have an enormous vat of semen <laughs> with a little whisk <laughs>
0: God, what the? What's going on with that? <laughs> Jokes on you. That's how Terminal Dogma started with Gendo. He just had a bottle of orange juice and a tub, and then <laughs> from the
1: and on this rock I will build my church. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Another thing about Sam Stanley that I sort of picked up on this time. He keeps he keeps some saying Desmond has his own MO, mm. <laughs> which is you know obviously that's what Cole said to him you know, during the the famous Lil scene and that. But I love how he just keeps saying it. And I think he says it to Desmond as well. Like he's like, you've, mm-hmm. you've got your own ammo, don't you, Agent Desmond? It's funny the way he keeps repeating it. It's, it's almost like a kid who's just learned a joke and then yep. he's like telling everybody the joke or just says it multiple <laughs> times in a row until all the humor's been sucked out of it. It's, it like, um, yeah, it just reminded me of It also
0: it. makes me wonder, like, if he did show up in the return. Would he still be like this giddiness or would he be like this worn down, like sick of it all? I wonder how he would have approached it.
1: Hmm. I think from memory that there is, that there is a reference to Stanley and I think Mark Frost's book, um, which implied that he had left the Bureau and mm. had some trouble with, uh with alcoholism. But mm. I think that's about the only—that's about the only sort of reference we've had post—post uh, post this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to Sam Stanley
0: M- Messed him up, and then he had to go deal him deal with his own
1: phantom pain. Maybe. Oh, actually, no, I do know what happened. Yeah, no, he—he he got transferred to another um another government department, um, Homeland Security, and he. You know, spent several days, uh, several really intense days, um, you know, chasing down terrorists and torturing people and looking at clocks, counting down, <laughs> 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 trying to rescue his daughter who got kidnapped. I know I you I watched the first couple of seasons of that. So, <laughs>
0: And I need to replay Metal Gear Solid 5. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, he was a vampire as well. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> only in the first one, right? He wasn't in any of the sequels. I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, apologies to any listeners that we've just lost. Um, we're not going to explain any of this. Nope. Um, <laughs> if you're in, Speaking you'll love th- the joke. If you're not, I'm sorry. <laughs> Speaking of things that are barely explained, there's a lot happening in uh, in Argentina. Yeah! <laughs> have you ever been to Argentina, Vinny? Really? No, I wish I have. It looks fun. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a nice place. Um
0: I wouldn't be constipated, just the shit comes out my ass, and there goes my day.
1: Uh, we'll definitely talk about that. I I have been to Buenos Aires, um, and it is a nice place. I didn't stay anywhere that was this nice, though, as the mm. Palm Deluxe. <laughs> I didn't stay in a hotel that had a harpist, a suit of armor, and a couple of dancers doing a waltz or something with being followed by live guitarists across the, across the lobby. That was... Unusual,
0: so weird. Yet, yeah, it, yes, it's so nice that it has everything but the ice machine.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so this is where we first see um, the famous Philip Jeffries, uh, who comes in. He asks the clerk, who identifies him. He says, "Ah, oh, Mister Jeffries." Before he mm-hmm. introduces himself, and De- um, Jeffries asks if uh, Miss Judy has is staying here. Now, what what do you think of this? Do you think that, A, the phrase, is there a Miss Judy staying here, is code, like an FBI code for, you know, give me the message that you've got in that envelope? Or do you think that there is a person called Miss Judy who left that envelope for Jeffries? I think there is a woman for Judy, a, a, a woman named
0: Judy who left that because i think the way judy is used in the return it feels like because that's set so much after this i think at that mm. point it would have been like an F- another fbi person s- like using judy as code oh you need this message where i think this is just him just starting like the true trail of judy and that the only way that he would know that this is judy that it because it was from a judy so i think this is mm. mainly the start of the chase for judy where in the return i think it would be the former option that you proposed
1: sure when they were filming all of this stuff um they were i guess gearing up to set up a bunch of stuff that would have come out in subsequent films i think the deal that they'd made with the production studio was that you know if this film does well Will greenlight another couple of Twin Peaks films, which will continue on the story. So I think they were setting stuff up for those subsequent films, and I think probably the a lot of the Philip Jeffries stuff, which feels kind of, even in the film itself, feels quite jarring from the rest of the narrative, um, especially Laura's story, is probably a lot of setup for stuff that might have happened in those in those other films. Um, obviously, this film didn't do so well, and those plans were scrapped from a scathing review of Quentin Tarantino fuck off. Yeah, so I think I think it's probably just important to note that anything that did happen in The Return was probably either repurposed from this but you know probably wasn't entirely um conceived of um you know in the same way, in the way that we eventually saw it in The Return perhaps. But who knows? <laughs> I don't think David Lynch even knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just going to say if anyone could tell us it would be David Lynch but You know, just because he could tell us doesn't mean that he would. (laughs) I'm confident that he wouldn't. And I need you to be in a bright, vibrant suit in Buenos Aires. Why? Because. So, yeah, so that's a fairly short scene. He just sort of walks out of there. But then we get kind of an extended version of the meeting above the convenience store. Mm -hmm. This scene is quite a bit longer than what we saw in the film. There's more lines from the man from another place and and others there's more sort of animalistic screeching from the yeah. jumping man mm. um which is very unsettling and bob has a line in this where he says he has the fury of his own momentum yeah now if we were more prepared and if we um you know had another 3 or 4 hours we could probably do a shot by shot line by line analysis of this entire scene and um that might be quite interesting um, I don't have the mental capacity to, <laughs> to do that right now. <laughs> Suffice to say, this is a very unsettling and um, disturbing and creepy scene um, and very powerful. But just a couple of things I wanted to just sort of pick out of all of this, Vinnie, um and I wanted to sort of, and, you know, if you've got thoughts on any of this, I'd, I'd love to hear them too. But um, there's a theory that I quite like, on with around the four table, the little man make, draws attention to the four mica table and he mentions that you know this is a four table and green is its color and then soon afterwards he talks about the ring with this ring i the weird eagle eyed folks on the internet have pointed out that uh when he's doing his little rubbing the four table mm. there's a small what looks like a small hole cut out of the green tabletop. Mm -hmm. So the theory goes that um, the ring, the green alcave ring, might have been made from that Formica tabletop. Ooh. Which I don't know quite what to make of that, but, um, but it's intriguing.
0: Maybe it could mean that that table originated from the Red Room... And they brought it over, but because it had so much of connection to that place, that's why it could either teleport you or protect you from someone that comes from that place.
1: Mm. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, I think, I mean, the space itself is really weird. Like, you know, we'd lead to believe that it's above a convenience store.
0: (laughs) And when we see that convenience store in the return, it's like, no, there's that room is not up there.
1: Yeah. and, And that. I mean, in the return, the the convenience store itself is a is a transient space that we see sort of, you know, shift around and move from place right. to place, and you know, flicker in and out of existence. Even we also see that eventually, little man leads Bob through the red curtains. So it feels like this space might be like an offshoot of the red room, like it might mm. be, you know, a similarly kind of interdimensional space. And uh, I don't know, it's it's really hard to tell. But one other thing that I noticed in this um in this sort of series of scenes, and I don't know if this I don't think this is in the film towards the end of the sequence, there's the shot of the red room curtains, and Laura's face is kind of overlaid over it
0: right that yeah, that wasn't
1: in the movie, and I think it's the same shot that we see later in the film when she's under the ceiling fan, yeah, yes, yeah, so what do we make of that like is Laura getting a view of this space what's or is this yeah, because try to channel In into the, the movie scenario? it's
0: just the light and the ceiling fan. You don't see what she's seeing, so maybe this is to explain what she is seeing, or maybe this was just a different cut of this was mm. what the original cut was, but I just kind or he just kind of edited it into Let's just splice this over um the the original Jeffrey scene of him explaining about what the meeting about being at one of their meetings, and then it makes sense to show what the what he saw in that meeting
1: mm yeah,
0: I will say it is shot more in the vein of the return because it's just this long creepiness just mm-hmm. just. Staying on the creepiness, staying on the man making the noise, staying on these two evil guys talking about their evil plan where mm-hmm. you didn't really get that in the original series. And it just and only lingering shots we got in the actual movie was just, you know, Laura just looking at the other side. We didn't really get to see just the creepiness linger that wasn't attached to Laura uh, directly. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. For those who are at home, yeah. Craig is now dancing like the crazy little man and just staring <laughs> blankly at me. And I will let no, the I'm fear just...
1: wash over me. <laughs> I'm just just <laughs> thinking, just thinking. Anyway, this is all interesting stuff. Did you have any other thoughts about the um, about this this sequence? Uh,
0: just, just the you know the me just having a better look at the room versus, like, you know, the staticky, jumping mm-hmm. back, forth between Philip Jeffries, static, and seeing the room. It's just how set up it is because you have that that man who I assume will be eventually covered in oil just sitting there and hitting the TV that he is still working on later in The Return. He still hasn't mm-hmm. really fixed it, but also just being a presence of just the evil and maybe, who knows, maybe the him working on the tv is a metaphor for him gaining power because in the return we just see him crushing skulls and grabbing people and all that where in this he's more of just an onlooker of all the evilness at this point
1: mm. yeah interesting yeah those characters are really interesting and you know is the, the the black guy that says animal life i don't know what the hell that means <laughs> I have no idea I feel like we could talk about this for hours if we uh, absolutely if we, don't, if we don't crack on. Um, the next scene that we have is an extended version of the Philip Jeffries in Philadelphia scene. So in the, in the finished film, these two sequences, so the meeting above the convenience store, and Philip Jeffries in in Philadelphia, uh, they kind of you know intercut he'll explain something and then you'll see it and, you know, it sort of jumps back and forth between those two. It's interesting to sort of see them as two separate pieces. Let me ask you, you, do you, if this was in the, if it was in the film like that, if there wasn't the cutting between the two and we had two separate scenes in the film, do you think it would play better to have the convenience store stuff first with no context or the Philip Jeffrey stuff explaining it all first and then seeing it? i
0: think it would be more effective for the convenience stuff convenience store stuff first just to set mm-hmm. the creepiness because honestly just seeing bowie going big and crazy in isolation it kind of respectfully mr mm-hmm. bowie with the accent choice, it doesn't really help the performance by itself. Sure. I think the performance was enhanced with the intercutting of the scene. But if it, we had to live in a world where we had to have these two scenes separated, I think it would have been better to have the creepiness of the convenience store first and then have mm-hmm. s- Mr. Bowie's big hammy performance after.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Just a couple of extra little pieces that um, that we get from from Bowie, though, is that there seems to be... It's more heavily implied that he doesn't know when he is because he's, there's that whole confusion about, you know, he sees the calendar and it's like, 1989, what? Yeah. And he's, you know, real confused about that. So there's some timey-wimey um, shit going on. I love the line from Cole where he's trying to get someone on the phone. He's like, what, am I alone here? <laughs> and then he turns around and Bowie's gone. And he's like... <laughs> And then we get a then we get a creepy uvula close up. Um, <laughs> Disgusting. Now, I wanted to ask you whose whose mouth do you think we're in here? I thought it was Mike's. You thought it was Mike. I I, I wondered if it might have been Bob's. Because hmm. I was just I was watching it again last night. And I was going, yeah. I mean, just when it cuts out, like when you, I mean, it doesn't linger on it for long. But when it's when the camera's kind of finally out of his throat, you kind of see. A little bit of his mouth and face, and I thought I thought it might have looked like Bob's. And again, I don't know what to make of that, but or if it's important, but yeah. The only reason I thought it was
0: Mike because we how ha- we we have gotten like zoom ins of him going electricity, and it, like zoom ins on him. But also, I'm not yeah, looking right. at that thing for details. I just see it. And I'm like, ugh, I'm I'm trying to yeah, look it's, away. It's, at it's the really grossness. gross.
1: I re- it's really gross. I don't like it. Anyway, let's move on from that. Then, and then we get our first scene. In Twin Peaks proper, um, yeah. this is Mike and Mike and Bobby talking about the big score and stuff. And I can understand why this was cut. Yeah, because I think it would feel weird to have this being, I guess, the first thing that we see in Twin Peaks. I think, I think that would be that'd be strange.
0: Like, it's the second worst choice. The worst choice would be just to cut to um, to and uh, Like, no, <laughs> that'd be worse.
1: <laughs> You're hey, not a fan of that song, eh? No. Are you a fan of the Norwegian language?
0: It, it, it's weird and beautiful at the same time, so sure.
1: <laughs> Are you a fan of Leland's entrance into, into the... <laughs> oh, no, hang on. Before we get to that, there's a short scene, I think, where... yes, yeah, so there, there's a really short scene where Laura comes home... She runs out again, I think this is where she you know runs off to uh, to see Harold about the um about the missing diary pages mm, yeah. in the film. Because we sort of end that scene in the in the dining room and then it immediately cuts to the lights the chandeliers, yeah you know, moving as Leland's stomping in in the beginning of the next scene, and it's really funny because um in the first scene. There's just like, you know, the, the regular furniture in the, in the room. But then as Leland's coming in, there's that huge slab of wood on the cabinet, (laughs) which eventually Leland turns around after he does his whole stomp, stomp, where's my axe thing. He sort of turns that thing around and there's a, there's an axe mounted onto that piece of wood, Mm -hmm. which leads me to ask, did Leland bring that home with him? Like, and why is Leland
0: like uh, as his side hobby? Is he a prop comic? Did he like see carrot top like ooh props? I gotta set stuff around the house to do my dad jokes.
1: Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I gotta, I gotta turn it around so it's not immediately obvious where, where the axe is. And hopefully <laughs> neither of them turn around beforehand, or else the joke is ruined. <laughs> it's just a a strange thing, like. It's really funny. It just because of the way because of the way the two scenes are cut, it just looks like it just transitions from one to the right. to the other. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it's just you know it's just apparated there for some reason. <laughs> what did you think of this scene overall? So they they sit down, and this is probably the most fun we've ever seen the Palmers having. Like this is probably the happiest we've ever seen those three characters. It's the most believable that they've ever been as a family. Yeah. It was nice. But
0: also, like, it made me also think of how in the series, that scene with the horns and Jerry bringing back, like, bread from France, and how that's (laughs) what the scene was, like, it's just this very domestic scene of a family, and then here's someone coming in, and then the whole discussion about this one object.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then they sort of do this little sing-song introduction in Norwegian, and it just... I don't know. I feel like that family doesn't have many of those moments where they're no. where they're all just sort of happy and laughing with each other because they are hysterical like mm-hmm. they are laughing so hard at this this nonsense sarah especially is just like it's just absolutely guffawing at um at all right. this
0: but also it shows like just Better shows like the downfall of Sarah. Cause you know, here she was having this nice moment with her family. Then years later, it's her drinking an absurd amount of alcohol, smoking a bunch of cigarettes, mm. watching animals kill each other. Like, mm-hmm. how hard has she fallen since what was her happy family at one point to just being this just sponge of evil?
1: Kind of see a hint of that later. Cause there's another scene. Another deleted scene later on where um Laura's kind of pushing the asparagus around on her plate and sort of says, mm-hmm, Oh, I'm gonna yeah. go I'm gonna go do my homework at Bobby's house. You can see Sarah kind of like is on the verge of a of a breakdown, she sort of pulls out a cigarette and you know, glugs back her wine kind of thing. So just yeah, it's just an interesting kind of contrast there. Speaking of things that have really gone downhill, let's let's transition into a scene uh, where we talk about um The production of timber in America. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Vinny, I don't ask you for much, but but I need a two (laughs) by four. (laughs) What? (laughs) Tell us about this scene. Did you enjoy it?
0: I loved this scene. I loved this scene so much because, first off, it has Pete, which is always going to be a good thing, but also just, you could have asked me, okay, in this Missing Pieces, guess which characters return? I never would have thought that (laughs) Bank Teller would have returned, and it's all better for it because he is one of the best characters in this entire franchise. He... Just brings so much joy to me whenever <laughs> he's just allowed to be kooky and silly and old.
1: No, it's it's very good scene.
0: And maybe it's the most I've ever liked Josie, because honestly, she's kind of annoying most of the time, and it's just her- She is. She runs a mill, and she has no idea what two-by-fours are.
1: <laughs> I think the interesting thing about this is that she seems really concerned about- mm-hmm whether this will see the inside of a courtroom. Um, Which, you know, someone with a a checkered past, like she has, and all these sort of nefarious shit going on underneath, that's the last thing that she wants, isn't it? Yeah. So that's interesting. I really like this scene, but I'm kind of glad it's not in the film. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it would have been really jarring to have this little moment in amongst everything else. But also no
0: Catherine, so that's another plus for this scene.
1: If you were given the job of reinserting this this scene into the film, where would you put it?
0: I would make this the first thing you see in Twin Peaks after the shot of the sign. (laughs) Almost like a hearkening back to the opening, because the opening is all about the mill. You know, you get the beautiful song over shots of the mill running, so it could be like it is the opening, but it's actually acted out.
1: Okay. Uh, that, That might work. So it would be all the deer meadow stuff. It would be the convenience store meeting stuff in Philadelphia. It would be Dale going to the going to look for Desmond and and then saying to his his dictaphone, you know, like the song says, "Who knows where or when." Then hard cut to one year later, Twin Peaks sign. <laughs> cut to the mill. <laughs> I need a two by four. <laughs> yes cinema yes cool yeah i guess there's, there's no place for this really in the film no. i think if you had to crowbar it in there somewhere maybe they there, get the post credit yeah. scene yeah you could do that <laughs> yeah you'd have to you'd have to do something like that <laughs> you'd have to do that yeah, yeah. either that or put it or put it directly in the middle of the convenience, <laughs> the <laughs> convenience store. So, so it like comes out of the jumping man's throat and and then suddenly <laughs> so just hard cuts to that and then immediately goes back to the convenience no, room. No, that's how you transition. You go down
0: the man's throat, then when you zoom out, you're coming out of the old man's throat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> two by four! Come, you come out of a little knot in a piece of two before. four. Yeah, that's okay. I think we've cracked it. <laughs> Great, you've done it. All right. Speaking of things that uh, that um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> interesting. I guess. Let's uh, let's let's go to the double R. Um, we've got so this is the scene I guess that would have been cut in and around um, the Meals on Wheels scene. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit more of of Norma and um, just the quiet diner. This really struck me as weird because, okay, what happens is the diner's empty. Shelly's kind of just playing with some receipts or something and trying to find an excuse to not do the Meals on Wheels with Laura. Norma's just kind of sitting in a booth because there's nothing happening. And then Nadine and Ed come in and they're all happy and chirpy until Nadine sees Norma and then decides that they don't want coffee and they leave. I know Nadine's, like, you know, got some potential mental health problems and stuff but um do you think it would there was a uh i guess an unreasonable expectation that norma the owner of the diner yeah. might might be there <laughs>
0: <laughs> right like
1: that's like
0: that's like me going to trejo's tacos and being upset that danny trejo is there <laughs> yeah
1: it'd be like going to Wahlburgers and (laughs) and being upset at Mark Wahlburgers. Although that would probably upset me, to be honest. Yeah, why didn't you stop 9-11? I mean, you said you could. Put your money where your mouth is, Wahlburg. Yeah, I said it. Um, (laughs) You say it behind the window and then you just merely run. (laughs) Yeah, he could probably kick my ass. Nadine's reaction is is weird. Mm,
0: Because it, it feels like... That's a moment it for like someone who's just coming to the movie and has never seen the series like no, we need you to understand the the relationship between Ed, Norma and Nadine like come on. Mm.
1: No, I, I guess I could see it in that in that context.
0: But also when is the double R ever empty? Yes, it's a small town and this is actually realistic for it. But no, that thing mm. is always packed.
1: I mean, I'm guessing it must be like probably like mid-afternoon maybe. Because, like you know, past the lunchtime rush, yeah, it would be after school, I guess, because Laura's doing the meals on wheels. Oh, right, right. So, yeah, probably it's probably like three o'clock, three thirty, something like that, maybe. Really good acting from Peggy Lipton here as Norma. Yes, like she's, you know, she sort of acknowledges how quiet it is and how kind of lonely she feels, and after Ed kind of leaves she's you know just breaks down and starts crying and then when he kind of comes in she does this really great trying not to let ed see that he that she's been crying yeah and you know does this little smile and says yeah yeah we'll 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 get together later kind of thing and then just immediately goes back to sobbing when Mm. when he when he leaves again great great bit of acting there (laughs) what else
0: how selfish she is she's having this little moment while two tables back what's her name is bleeding out of her nose Heidi, like crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not too face-bye, by because i think she does do a little her signature little giggle as well though yeah. so, okay.
0: <laughs> it's still <Yeah>. like <laughs> this woman is just bleeding an absurd amount out of her nose and you're just like yeah. eh,
1: she seems fine <laughs> um i noticed shelly is wearing some great uh 1980s earrings here like yeah they're really cool i don't think she ever wore those in the series i noticed that too like where did that come from very stylish speaking of style i do not think that uh, doc hayward's shirt requires a tie
0: (laughs) ned does you don't wear
1: you don't wear a tie with like a a, you know a check shirt like that i'm not the most fashionable guy on the planet but uh, even i know that's that's not a good a great look even in the late 80s yeah it,
0: it just feels like i need to dress up and and hey I, I put in the effort like
1: no you're you're putting in effort to look bad good sir how much latin do you know finney um do you know what ipso facto means i do not because that's what he says when he's doing his magic trick ipso facto which struck me as weird i had to look this up just to get the confirmation of this basically it means because of that fact So you would say, for instance, I don't know, um, Oscar is 14 years old, ipso facto, it's weird to sexualize her like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not, I I don't think it's a good equivalent for like an abracadabra type magic word. It's not. It was weird. I don't know if there's anything to it.
0: (laughs) That he sucks at his job, it just shows that he sucks at his hobby too. (laughs)
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he, he loses the thing that he's trying to conjure out of nowhere or whatever yeah it's a bad magic trick there's this this scene with the muffin <laughs> the muffins and the talk about the muffins and stuff is quite long and i'm glad that it was cut out of the film yes um because it does it does drag on a bit i don't know do you have any thoughts on any of this stuff anything that donna says or that Doc Sears or anything like that?
0: I just kind of thought, like, earlier in the film, just Lord, just acquaint yourself to a turkey, gobble, gobble. Then later, mm-hmm. no, I'm a muffin. No, you're the muffin. No, like, just her, yeah. her need to meta- to metaphor her life
1: into a yeah. food. <laughs> um, Speaking of food, what does huckleberry taste like? Do you have any idea? I've, I, I get, assume like the hound. Huckleberry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's that song? Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, oh, my darling Clementine.
1: Now, what's the one with, um, my Huckleberry friend? Oh, Moon River. Moon, Moon River, River, smile? <laughs> My Huckleberry friend. Yeah, I don't think I've ever eaten Huckleberry, but apparently they have seven whole Huckleberries in these muffins, which you're not allowed to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I think, if I'm not mistaken, the very next scene, if I was going to put any one of these scenes into back into the film, it'd be this one. This is the scene where Laura is standing under the ceiling fan. There's the light. There's the electricity. You can hear Bob saying mm. stuff like, do you see what we can do? And I want to taste through your mouth which ugh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It's very, very creepy. I love this scene. It's very creepy, especially like just the noise of the electricity that sort of slowly amplifies. You've got that really creepy, slow smile breaking out on Laura's face. Yeah. I mean, my my read of that is that you can see bob slowly creeping in to her and taking yeah. control say it's kind of like the reverse of the the scene that we see in the film with leland where he is mm, yeah you know where you can see that he's he's really sort of got this kind of fury around him and he his face kind of slowly drops and it, it's like bob is kind of leaving yeah it's kind of the reverse of that like he's slowly settling in yeah. the other great thing that i noticed on this watch was that the um the ceiling fan whooshing noise like when sarah comes in and you know says laura and kind of breaks her trance yeah, yeah. like that the the soundtrack you can hear like that ceiling fan noise kind of powering down like it sort of does this like Boo! kind of thing which was yeah really cool yeah Whew.
0: it is blatantly like yeah the one scene that should have been in the film and I just trying to wrap my head like what is the reason it wasn't cuz I mm. can't think of any.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, unless it was they just wanted to trim something, I guess. But no, I think I think it absolutely needed to be in the film. And um, you know, they could have it was I mean, it wasn't that long either. Like they could have no. just left it in there and it would have been this cool little moment.
0: And it's not a like thing like, oh, do we have too much creepiness in this movie? Like no, that would never be an issue.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of other short scenes, And we get a short scene of Mike with no shirt on uh, removing fire from the circle of candles while he's saying, fire, walk with me. Now, he must have had a long match. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just think about the logistics of how that's shot. You know, he would have had to light those candles uh, while kneeling there shirtless and reciting his lines phonetically backwards. That would have been a real challenge as an actor. <laughs> so hard. It would have been pretty nerve wracking. I mean, I kind of when I'm lighting birthday cat candles and stuff, like I always like I never light all of them with one match either. No. So it's, it's like a must have been a long match or a slow burning match at least. I always but worry like, about it. When I saw this,
0: I was trying to think like when would this have when do you cut this in? Like when the heck and yeah. I thought like maybe Almost like cut it in when he's yelling at Leland and Laura, like have that o- interlace over it, like with static, almost like the Bowie mm-hmm. and convenience store scene. Because I'm trying to think, when would this go? And I can't think of anywhere this could go.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you would have to probably put it before the traffic light intervention scene. But even then, it would just it would seem out of place. Right? Yeah. Like, why are we I cutting? Can see to where this? they cut it. Yeah. Now, do you think Leland reads pornography? In his office? I mean, when he calls Teresa from, you know, seeing a picture in Flesh World, he's doing that from his office phone, right? Yes.
0: Craig, we live in a world where there's (laughs) probably so many people watch porn on their office computer, and this is way before that, so yes, I fully believe that a man will look at porn in his
1: office. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, I guess. I mean, I can understand you don't want to, you know, be doing that kind of stuff from home, but, you know, did they, did they keep track of that kind of, of what phone calls people were making? I don't know. Mm, I, maybe, sure. maybe Ben Horn. Ben Horn probably didn't care, to be honest. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Like, you work for Ben Horn. I mean, come on. I'm yeah, sure he erases any logs that don't need yeah. to be publicly found.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that need to be found, though, uh, we get the Bernie the Mule scene, which is, yeah, pretty much our only... Scenes with uh, the sheriffs, yeah, in the in the you know in this in this film, yeah, it's a pretty nothing kind of scene. It's just kind of establishing that the that they're tracking uh, Bernard Renault, who's coming down from Canada. Um, But I do the the one thing I will say about the scene is that it feels the way it's shot with those kind of those slow lingering shots and kind of cutting between people, and it kind of feels like a template that Lynch would pick up again in the return yes 100 percent. you know compare this to maybe the scene in the return where they're talking about you know where hawk and andy and lucia sort of going through the old files and trying to figure out what's missing you know compare it to that it's it's pretty much beat for beat but also
0: what struck me was how Just the color of it. Like you could tell it was an overcast day outside just from the gray Mm. scale of it versus like the series. There's very warmness to the sheriff station. Very like warm, like reddish, about it, orangish. Whereas this was just Sheriff Truman sitting in a gray room with just Mm. void of color and just having long conversation with no music really
1: as well. Just very no. just drawn out seriousness of it all. That's a great point. Yeah, again, just speaking to the whole idea of this being a different twin peaks than we're used to in the series. Even then the Andy like silliness is toned down too. It's
0: just the only silliness is him being blatantly told what they need to do, but it's not like there's a joke that Andy is dumb or anything. It's just like yes. just reaffirming what is going
1: on. Mm. So we're getting towards the tail end of these scenes now, which is um Which is good. Um, Let's talk about really quickly. I don't have a lot to say about this about the uh, the baby laxative scene. So this is Bobby finds a (laughs) finds out that the coke he's killed a dude for is um, actually baby laxative. It's kind of funny how you know how he flips out at this. Mm. (laughs) The one thing that I wondered about this though is is when a film crew shoots a scene like this, it must be so annoying to have to reset. A mm-hmm. shot like that where you're making a huge mess or even a scene where, like, somebody, you know, a character jumps into a thing of water and gets all wet or, you know, something like that. It must be so annoying for a film crew to, like, reshoot something like that. And I wonder if it puts additional pressure on actors to do, a like, a good take the first yeah. time. Because <laughs> you think about it, it's going to be, like, it's not a short process to nope. film anything, really. You know, especially if you have to clean up, like, a, ki- a kilogram of powder <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe you have to vacuum the actor down maybe change their clothes do and then all this change the dirt stuff, because
0: there's powder the- all the- over yeah. the dirt
1: yeah exactly all for it just to get cut <laughs> yeah so I wonder if there is pressure on actors to do a good take or to yeah, just to nail it the first time around. Um if any actors are listening to this um, and can provide insight please uh, email us uh, tp semicolon e at gmail.com
0: <laughs> if you worked with Stanley Kubrick and did 80 takes of nonsense, let us know.
1: <laughs> God, I'd love to talk to someone who worked with Stanley Kubrick.
0: We could get Jack Nicholson on here. Come on, Craig.
1: <laughs> Speaking of people who suck, um, Dr. Toby <laughs> should be fucking... Whatever the therapist version of being disbarred is, his phone call with Laura is, like, automatic. Yep. St- strike him off the fucking record, man. Fuck, so gross. <sighs> Next up, we have a relaxing evening at the Briggs house. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bobby's chilling out in the in the basement. Mrs. Briggs is is uh is doing some needlepoint. Um, Mr. Briggs is <laughs> sitting in his his favorite easy chair, reading from the Book of Revelation. <laughs> Just a regular Tuesday night.
0: Just a regular Tuesday night. But also, I think. I I don't like that because it feels too on the nose to mm. have someone reading the book, literally reading
1: the book of Revelations.
0: Like, that is not subtle at all. That is too on point for this series.
1: Mm. <laughs> I mean, you could expect that in maybe something like Evangelion or something like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's what Gendo reads every night before bed.
1: <laughs> God, that man doesn't sleep. <laughs> Nah,
0: probably not. <laughs> he just like just snorts a thing of LCO and like Woo! Let's go! Yeah.
1: Speaking of um I'm just trying to do a segue here. I'm not <laughs> clever enough to do this segue. Um, we're back at the sheriff's station though, and Lucy tells Sheriff Truman that uh, Josie is called because she's heard a prowler. Ooh. Now do you think Jack- Josie actually heard a prowler? No, nope. or is this some is this some convoluted booty call? No, she needs she needs some Truman because she's so
0: stressed about being taken to court over two by fours. She needs some <laughs> some punishment from the right kind of authority.
1: She needs the uh, the long hard something of the law. <laughs> she needs she needs some good two inches <laughs> or one and nine sixteenths or whatever. <laughs> Um, the the only other thing I'll say about this scene is that uh, Lucy's confusion about who she's talking to or, you know, Mm. through the intercom is is kind of a precursor to her struggling to understand the concept (laughs) of cell phones and the return, is it not?
0: Yeah, it really was, but also just the confusion with her and then Andy just running up to scare her accidentally yeah. it was just like it, it was very the original series but also f- more explains like the out of placeness it is just because like if mm-hmm. this was in the film it'd be so out of place to have this type of humor
1: yeah it would probably be the most comedic thing that we see in the film yeah because there's nothing really there's no jokes in Firewalk with me there's no levity really at all it's all dread and menace mostly. Um, much like the scene of Leland arriving home as Laura's mm. about to sneak out before James comes rolling down the street and, and the world's <laughs> loud
0: <laughs> <laughs> sneak out.
1: <laughs> I quite like this scene in isolation. I think that yeah. the pacing of it and the um the way that not once but a couple of times he kind of like looks directly at where laura is mm-hmm. it's yeah definitely adds a lot more menace to the uh to the thing if the scene was left intact in the film i, I feel like it might have disrupted the flow of that moment a little bit though what do you yeah reckon? absolutely so yeah i do like it in isolation but um i probably would have kept that cut
0: i almost would have liked if they put this cut scene in the return just let this play out as the flashback for it
1: oh that would have been cool yeah, after Cooper goes back in time. Yeah, man, and that would have been Yeah, that would have been really cool. Get more Ray Wise in the return. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be always good. Speaking of people that had a all too brief of an appearance, um I if the scene with Laura under the under the ceiling fan is the one scene we could have put in, if I had to choose a second it would probably be this brief shot of the log lady. Yes. Sobbing as there's a distant scream in the background. I think Yeah. I love that. I think it's I think it's great.
0: I think also it's it's a good like it's it's a good way to show how just rattling the death of Laura is, because she mm-hmm. is a stable of this town, but also the log lady is a stable of this town and it's like one moving on without the other.
1: Indeed. So, yeah, I would have kept that in if if it were up to me. Then we kind of get some stuff for the people in the audience who wanted to sort of know what happened after season two, the some months later section. Um, so we've got Annie is taken to hospital. She meets a nurse. <laughs> um, now, question for you, Vinnie. The nurse... Steals Annie's ring. Do do you think the ring or the red room or whatever compelled the nurse to take that ring? I mean, (laughs) was was there some kind of supernatural attraction there? Or is the nurse just a kleptomaniac?
0: Well, I think that is also possible that the nurse is a maniac. But also, I think there has to be some supernatural elements to make her want that ring. It's so fucking ugly. (laughs) 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 Because, like, it has to be just the temptation is filled in that ring because who would wear that especially her she seems like she f- cares about her appearance if she wants to steal jewelry of patience so why mm. would you take something so ugly
1: <laughs> mm. i wonder if there is something to that like i wonder if there's that might the precious. ring signed for this yeah. ring <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> yeah i wonder if that ring does have some kind of supernatural pull to it cuz i mean pretty much everyone we see with the or you know in proximity to the ring does either reach out for it or does put it on their finger at some point or does you know is playing around with it at some point so i don't know maybe there is
0: there there is a curse to the ring and that's why cooper told laura not to touch it because ultimately it is feel Mm. it does feel dumb that he tells her not to touch it because it does protect her protect laura but also like maybe he knows that there's just doom just you're just doomed if you get even if you get even near it
1: or maybe maybe he knows that the the ring does have this kind of temptation associated with it and and that's something that you have to actively try and resist right um which he's trying to warn her about maybe i don't know we do see cooper in the red room again with the the man from another place what does he talk about here he they talk about annie he asks kind of where he is. He asks where the ring is. So that's yes. interesting. Because the ring is usually on that little table. And the little man is very cryptic with his responses. He says that someone else has it now. And the little man delights in telling Cooper that when he asks where he is, that, um, you know, you are here. And the only place left to go is home. Mm-hmm. And then absolutely cackles.
0: Now, Craig, I was thinking, like, I was trying to think if we could somehow insert this into the season two finale. I wonder where you could insert that because it feels very much like mm-hmm. this. This is not actually after the season two finale, but more in the middle of it. And I was trying to wonder mm-hmm. where you could fit this into it.
1: Yeah, it would just have to. It would probably be. It would probably have. It would probably have to be before the doppelganger stuff. Yeah, maybe before the whole windermill and bob thing because that's quite near the end Mm -hmm. could it be right when he walks into
0: like the portal in the middle of the woods
1: maybe or maybe after the whole after the bit where he's um where he's seated in the chair and the 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 guy's singing the song about the sycamore trees maybe after Mm, that yeah yeah i mean and just to sort of you know, extend out the, well, well, I mean, the next kind of scene that we get is the, um, the season two, the final scene, kind of an extended Mm -hmm. version of that almost, you know, we see more of the how's Annie thing. Coop's got a bloodied forehead and, um, you know, Doc and the sheriff try and, you know, break down the, the bathroom door. And I, I love that when, when they do this, they, you know, he sort of notices and sort of, you know, lies on the floor as if he's, you know, fallen down. Yeah. If this if this extended scene had been in the in the series finale then Twin Peaks would have ended with Cooper saying but I haven't brushed my teeth <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is which is unusual
0: it also would have ended on the worst medical advice from a doctor who just saw someone oh, yeah. experience head trauma
1: oh you're going it back to visit- bed <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like visible, bleeding <laughs> profusely from the head. Yeah, maybe Doc Hayward should be struck off the...
0: Yeah, him, just Jacoby, just get rid of all of them. The, this is why <laughs> shit keeps going down. You yeah, have there's no... inexperienced people at your hospital. There's, there's
1: no... There's Yeah, exactly. The nurses are stealing from people. <laughs> <laughs> there's no good healthcare professionals in Twin Peaks. Yeah, if you need healthcare, you have to go to Deer Meadow for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. The American healthcare system is better than this, right? Well, they're not far from Canada. They could just take a trip <laughs> over the thing and get cheaper medicine. We They have plenty of baby laxative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now that you have to have babies. <laughs> Where would these... <laughs> these season two scenes, Vinnie, um or oh, these the some months later scenes, if they were put in the film, where would you put them? Is there anywhere logically that you would place these?
0: It's hard because it's easy just to be like, oh, post credit, you know. But mm-hmm. I think it would it would help more to be in the actual thing before you know people leave at the credits. But I think you could insert it because I was thinking you can insert it right after dear meadows and do a plan like it's not months later but it like start the movie with months before and also like this is the we know you're here for answers on the finale and we're kind of giving it to you but also Mm -hmm. let's take you back to what this finale was about that it was about Mm -hmm. laura so let's start the laura story after showing you this Mm -hmm. but i'm not it's it's very tricky to add these back in
1: yeah i feel like I'd, I'd almost be tempted to put them right at the start, to be honest. Before mm. Deer Meadow, um, would maybe be more logical. I don't know.
0: Or insert this in between Deer Meadow and Philadelphia. That way, you can you can then cut to Cooper being serious and looking at the camera and being like, "Shit's about to go down."
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm glad they exist, but I'm glad they're not in the film by the mm-hmm, same right. token. And those are those are our missing pieces for Twin Peaks. I feel like yeah, we'll everything's anyway. answered. We did it. We did it. Cool. All right, case closed on Twin Peaks. Now, Vincent, um there's one more missing piece of uh something that we've covered before. Wait, um, what? I don't know if I don't know how um how common this knowledge is, but uh yeah, there is. In, at the end of Evangelion there is a quite a prominent deleted scene from that. Yes, there's an extended
0: us? hospital scene. Let's
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what fan forums you've been uh, you've been surfing Vinny but um <laughs> Craig the Brazzers an, community are very nice people. <laughs> um Vincent Tell us about the um Tell us about the live action scene that was cut out of End of Evangelion.
0: So before I do this, Craig, let me tell you something. So, ladies and gentlemen, we both watched a copy of this on Vimeo. And let me tell you, I own the very expensive special edition of Evangelion, the complete like series collection and with EOE. This is included, but Without the option of English subtitles, <laughs>
1: okay. Ah, <laughs>
0: uh, why include this if I have zero way of understanding what dialogue is being said?
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, the uh, the you know the the box set does come with a you know a month trial for uh, duolingo so i mean <laughs> it's kind of on you so,
0: i just couldn't believe because i was like all right time to watch this for the podcast and play it like oh weird those i went to settings and, and subtitles are on i'll go back to the main menu yeah subtitles are on play still no subtitles i was in menus for like a good five minutes trying to get subtitles while watching this on the Blu-ray. And I just had to succumb to the Vimeo copy I sent you. <laughs> <laughs> so what what happens in this, in this scene? So this scene uh, takes place dr- uh, right after Instrumentality. It's, you know, just we're all one big soup. We're all trying to get along. And then this is when this scene was going to happen. We see a young lady being awoken by an alarm. She wakes up. She's next to a man, she goes, Baka
1: Toji. <laughs> so immediately we know which characters these are supposed to these people are supposed to represent. Yep.
0: <laughs> so she's like, uh, did I just have a dream? Ugh. Oh god, did I get drunk and sleep with them again? Ugh. This is all we do. Then we see her getting ready for work. Then we cut to another young woman waking up being like huh was that all a dream and she's wondering about her stress levels and how she shouldn't be complaining about her reality because nothing's gonna change and she gets this call from ritzko so mm-hmm. to blatantly say this is Masado being awoken woken up as well and talking to ritzko <laughs> like i just love how blatantly this is directed like no we need you to know what is happening because you just saw instrumentality and now i need to just blatantly tell you what's going on here is here after the nonsense you just saw yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah, what did you feel like when
0: you when you realize oh so these these are the characters i'm going to be following in this live action thing
1: (laughs) i mean well my first thought was okay all right, some interesting choices here. So, so obviously, we've got Oscar and Toji, which, you know. Um, and then, yeah, Masato and, and Ritsuko. And you're like, okay, well... So, my first thought was, well, okay, well, does Shinji exist in this world? Does Rei exist in this world? What's, you know, <laughs> what what's happening here? It felt... this whole This whole scene felt very much like the... The fully animated sequence from episode 26 you know the Mm. the alternate slice of life this this is what the show could have been type of thing right yeah it felt very much like that tell me Vinny, would this scene have appeared in the film as well as all of the other live action stuff that we saw i Um, believe it would have been like a
0: splice of the two where you get the spice of this stuff but also like that one shot of like the voice actors dressed as their characters in the crowd as well
1: right would you have got all the movie theater stuff and all that kind of thing i wonder if that would have happened as well
0: that probably would have been like the opening of this like you know cut from like beautiful composer todd to just like the shots of the of the people in the theater the emptiness and then cut to wake up from the dream is how i would mm. understand this would have been spliced because it does use the same music that is used in the actual movie with those the shots of like the street and the cat and the movie theater. So that music right. is still there in this. That's right. But I do like how like the conversation between Ritsko and Masato, it's like really turns to the gossip about the the neighbors next door.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these <laughs> Yeah, these two kids that just fuck all the time. and Yeah, that was funny.
0: And then Ritsuko hears it somehow, because I couldn't hear when I was watching. She's like, are you watching
1: porn? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> How And then it sort of ends in a weird way, right? Like, um so Oscar's walking down the streets. She sort of hears a voice calling her name. And, you know, we're led to believe that this is Shinji. And he sort of says, I'm not here. And then it just ends. Yeah yeah what um oh i'm just reading the wiki here so hideyaki Arno voices that mysterious voice
0: that's why i I thought i recognized the voice like i i knew it was shinji but i'm like is that Arno? yeah sounds like the guy
1: from the wind rises Um. (laughs) (laughs) joseph would love (laughs) it yeah yeah so it's an interesting interesting little scene um do you think the movie would have do you think it would have been out of place in the movie? Like if this was No, cuz we got so much weird you know, shit. Like, like, <laughs> like come on. After Compassus and Todd can do anything in that movie. <laughs> yeah. So presumably this would have I'm just trying to think back to a memory of that film. So if if it did all the live action stuff, it would have gone to this or some version of this film, and then it would have gone into what's the next thing that happens in the film? Is it the when it's on the beach?
0: Um, well, yeah, it's right before that or with before um, that. Shinji and Rei. You know, they're naked in, in the, the in the LCL.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah, that w- actually that might work quite well. Yeah, Is it Oscar. I'm not here, and then it cuts to Shinji and Rei in the mm-hmm. in the primordial soup. Yeah, that would have yeah that would actually work quite well because it also plays on
0: that he's just watching these other universes play out because he's watching you know the where he's friends with oscar and the silly oh i'm late for school
2: like how it's that
0: in in the series and then he's watching Mm. this like almost like sitcom-y like oh fucking new new couple next door i'm trying to make it by myself blah
1: blah blah yeah think i think it might have worked i feel like because this is like the version that exists now is like 11 minutes long. So it's quite long. Yes. I feel like if it was maybe three minutes long or something like Mm -hmm. that, that would have worked probably better. Now, Craig, let me ask you, how do you, What do you
0: think of Anno's live-action directing? Because this would have been his first, like, big official live-action stuff, whereas before he would direct, like, fan films of, like, Ultraman or various other stuff, where it's just him and his friends just shooting shit that they want to make, whereas this would have been, like, a studio funding your live-action shooting. How do you feel about the direction Anno does in this?
1: Um, I don't know if there's anything too notable about it, to be honest. Like, I mean... I mean, I, I feel like most of his artistic flourishes, you know, come out in animation better. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I can't point to anything that's particularly noteworthy about it, to be honest. What about you?
0: The only thing, I just like the just the shots of just the mundane outside world, because in the anime you get like mm-hmm. the swing set, mm-hmm. swing set shots, or just like the sandcastle shots. And so it's like yeah. very much just the just certain shots, just the focus of like. Stuff you encounter in your everyday life because this follows you know them going to work and you just get shots of like you know cars and bikes and you get one ass shot which is like oh yeah yeah there's (laughs) Ano
1: that's one for the otaku yeah that's a good point I don't know anything else we want to say about this little I I better we better start wrapping this up Um, yeah yeah anything else we want to say about this uh, little scene just like well.
0: This is the closest we're ever gonna get to Anno directing a live-action Ava adaptation.
1: Well, this and Shin Godzilla. <laughs> yes, we're grateful for that. I, I like Shin Godzilla more, I think.
0: I yeah, change. Shin Godzilla is the better
1: live-action Ava than the live-action <laughs> Ava segment. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up there. Then we've got a we've got a playlist of music that we that we do before our final plugs. Any any songs you want to put on that today viddy i want to put uh pieces by some 41 <laughs> <laughs> okay i haven't thought about this at all um i will put you know fuck it i'm gonna do a uh i'm gonna co-op to co opt a, general z thing and put on a, a vaporwave version of Com <laughs> that <I found> the <laughs> other day and really enjoy um <laughs> Yes, I'm going to put that on there. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening to our discussion of Twin Peaks and Evangelion, The Missing Pieces. Um, this has been a real fun one, and I think it did come out better the second time, so that's good. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to find us online, you can do that. Um, we'd love to hear what you thought of this this or any of our other episodes. Um, you can email us directly at e at gmail.com. Uh, you could also look at our Instagram, uh, for memes and stupid shit. Uh, we, are on TP colon E podcast at, on Instagram and Hey Vinny, Yes. I signed us up for Twitter the other day. What? The Paul very the healthy.
0: Website. Oh, I thought it was yeah. a very healthy
1: social media out, out, out for, um, Elon, if you're listening and want to send us some money, um, first <laughs> off, pay your fucking taxes and then send us some <laughs> cash. Um, He's too busy but, trying to be sailor, <laughs> a Saleh <sailor> monolith. <laughs> he really is. He is.
0: He honestly yes. is.
1: Yeah, e- Elon Lorenz is his, is his full name. Um, no, but we are on Twitter. If you want to um, follow our, our nonsense there as well, um, that is, fuck, what's our Twitter handle? I think it's just it's TP Evangelian is our Twitter handle there. Um, all these links will be in the show notes, um, and yeah. We'll talk to you on the next episode, I guess. See you later, I guess. (laughs) We promise more fan service. Oh, stop promising that. You're going to have to deliver on that one day. All right, see ya. Anno did it.
0: Bye. (laughs)